Well, I want to welcome you again to week two of Lord Change My Attitude. If you would uh, grab your Bibles and turn with me, we'll be in Numbers chapter 11 in just, just a few moments. If this is your first week here, you missed last week. You missed a good time in God's Word. And uh, if you uh, need a reminder or you missed last week, just a reminder that you can uh, go online and get the teaching there and download the notes. It's not so much what I say, but it's definitely what God is saying that is important for us. And we're going to build upon that. But in case you missed last week, we want to give you a, a heads up. We looked at the point of promised land living. Asking God to change our attitude and to move into promised land living, we had to understand that a lifestyle of grumbling leads to a life in the wilderness. If our lifestyle is about grumbling and murmuring and murmuring and murmuring, it leads to a life in the wilderness. Um, I, uh, can we just stop a second? Um, it's kind of bother. I'm kind of embarrassed to say. It's kind of bothering me here. Um, I don't know who's responsible uh, for this. This is uh, uh, half half empty here, glass, and uh, it, it's it's kind of it's bugging me. I, I don't know. How, I'm just embarrassed to say, but it's I don't know. It's it's bugging me a lot. I, I don't know who did hey, this. Hey, Pastor Brady. Yes. Um, that was actually me. I, I was filling your glass up and. I was really trying to put some thought into it. You know, I just didn't want to mail it in and just throw the glass up there somewhere. But I intentionally only, only filled it half full because, um, honestly, you're so energetic and I love that about you. But I was kind of afraid you would, like, pound the pulpit when you got into it or you'd kind of grab it with both arms, like right now. And I was afraid that the, 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 it would tilt and spill on you and it could get your clothes wet, which would be a distraction to you and us and... And then my biggest fear was it would, like, hit your notes, and then the whole service might just be ruined. I, I didn't want you to spill it when you pounded on the pulpit, and I was really trying to take good care of it, and I just was afraid well, you'd pound on the pulpit. I, I, I don't know. First, I don't pound the pulpit, all right? <laughs> and I, any genius can see, Pastor Ryan, that this glass is, is half empty. I mean, I, I thought you guys loved me. You know that my voice is tired on Sunday, and if you really love me, you'd at least fill it half full, if, if not all the way, and... <laughs> I don't know. I just, I really thought I could count on you guys. Okay, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm going to. Um, but, I, I mean, it is, I mean, you guys can see, it, it's half full. Um, Pastor Brady, it's not that I don't love you and care about you. In fact, it is that I love and care about you. And that's why, I mean, I got fresh bottled water. It was Dasani, the good stuff. I put it in there. And it is really half full. That water was, I really thought it was everything that you needed. You know, there wasn't too much. There was just the right amount. And that way, you can quench your thirst. I really thought it was just, I mean, everything that you needed. <laughs> All right. It's hard to be mad at Pastor Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> oh, well, that's obviously just a little illustration at how simple it can be to see something that, that doesn't matter a whole lot. But with every attitude decision, you know, half full, half empty, all across our life, there's a fork road. There's a fork in the road. And we have to choose the attitude. We have to choose. Are, are, am I going to be positive about this? Am I going to be negative about this? What attitude am I going to choose? Tonight, as we continue on here in Numbers chapter 11, starting at verse 1 in just a minute, we're looking at replacing... The first of five wilderness attitudes. This first attitude is a complaining attitude. Now, Numbers 11, 1 through 3, that's going to be the source for our scriptural food tonight, for the first major portion of this. And 
Look in your Bibles with me as I read Numbers 11, 1 through 3. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire fell down. Now, when we look at this, we begin to see that the Lord heard their complaining. In fact, in Numbers 11, verse 1, the NASB says the people became like those who complained. Why did did they have to become like that? Did they have to complain? No, they chose to complain. They chose to become like those who were complaining. Number one in your outlines, if you want to take notes, jot that down. This is number one. We choose our attitudes. We choose our attitudes. A lot of people don't think that they choose their attitudes, but it, it doesn't matter what you think. You choose your attitude. That's the truth. All in favor of truth tonight, raise your hand. In favor of truth? Okay, good. Are you ready for some truth? Here's some truth. It's bold. It's at you. You choose your attitude. Your attitude is your choice. Some of you look like you're getting an attitude about that. But our attitude is our choice. You choose your attitude. Last week we left off when we saw that 12 spies went into the land and 12 spies made 12 decisions about their attitude. 12 choices. 10 saw... That they wanted to choose self and they wanted to choose doubt and a bad attitude. And two chose God. They chose faith. They chose a good attitude and they went into the promised land. Now, a reminder from last week, what is an attitude again? An attitude, write this down, an attitude is a pattern of thinking formed over a long period of time. When we say attitude, defined for our study, it's a pattern of thinking formed over a long period of time. I want to be clear, you can change an action problem in a hurry. If, if you're doing something wrong, you can change that action in a hurry. You cannot change an attitude problem in a hurry. You can change your direction on that attitude in a hurry. We're going to talk about that tonight. But you cannot change an attitude in a hurry. Now, some of you are thinking right now, you know, I'm glad you brought this up about attitudes being a pattern of thinking formed over a long period of time because when I think about my bad attitude and, and attitudes that I have, you know, I, I really think it's because of my mom. You know, I, I just, you know, if, if you only knew my mom and if, if you saw what she was like and, and, and boy, did she have some problems. And you know what? Here, here's the thing. I'm not suggesting tonight that our family of origin, that your parents don't have any effect on your attitude. I'm not suggesting that your loved one, your spouse, your kids don't affect your attitude somehow, but you choose your attitude. The Bible teaches us that each one of us will give an account for ourselves before God. So when you stand before Jesus Christ and you give an account for your life, here, here's, a little, here's a little tip, okay? It's a really bad idea to stand there before God and say, Jesus, can you hang on just a second? Can I go get my mom? I mean, you're not going to understand all this, but if you just saw my mom, if you just knew what she was like, if I could just bring her here, you'd know why my attitude is this way. How many know that's a bad idea? This will not work. We choose our attitudes and we're going to be held accountable to God for our attitudes. It starts all the way from the beginning of life. I mean, all the way from the beginning. Our attitude choices happen all the way from the beginning. It, it reminds me like, like a toddler, a two-year-old. You know, a, a toddler has a ball and they're so happy. They just say, 
this is my ball. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. But something happens and we choose to respond when we drop dumb ball, stupid dime store ball, slippery ball. We can blame the ball. That, that can be our attitude. Another way, I guess, we, we can respond. Some of us, we, <laughs> this is my ball. I'm excited. Where are my parents right now? If my parents were here, I wouldn't have dropped that ball. If my parents loved me, they would never let me drop the ball. And, and, and we can begin to blame somebody else for dropping the ball. Attitude, it starts all the way from the beginning, from, from a young age. Sometimes we're, this is my ball. I love it. I love my ball. I'm such a loser. I've been dropping the ball all the time. I've seen other kids play, and nobody drops the ball the way I drop the ball. Something's wrong with me. I don't know what's... And we begin to, to complain about ourselves, and we begin to blame ourselves. But, but maybe we could choose another way. I, I, I drop the ball. People drop balls every day. I'm going to try to learn from my mistake. I don't, I don't want to drop the ball. I'm not going to make an excuse for dropping the ball, but maybe I can learn something from this. We choose our attitudes from an early age. What I want us to catch tonight is your attitude is not something that developed last night. It's a pattern of thinking formed over a long period of time, how you think about yourself, how you think about others, how you think about God. The pattern of thinking that the children of Israel had was complaining. That was their attitude. That was their pattern of thinking over a long period of time. Back when they were making bricks in brick country, they were not happy. They, they complained about everything. Their grandparents complained. Their parents complained. They complained. They were not happy about anything. Number two, write this in. Complaining is sin. If we look at this, sometimes we have a hard time admitting or, or, or believing that complaining is actually sin. Stealing Okay, it's sin. I have no problem with that. Lying, that's sin. Adultery, that's sin. But complaining? Is it sin? How could complaining possibly be sin? Who is it hurting? Think about that for a second. That's a fair question. When you complain, you're hurting yourself. When you complain, you're hurting God. When you complain, you're hurting everyone who has to listen to your poisonous complaining. Now, we need to look at a definition of complaining here. The enemy wants to jump on your shoulder, and he wants to twist this into making it something that, that I'm not saying and Scripture's not saying. According to this passage of Scripture and the context in which we read this and the context of our study, here's how we're defining complaining. Complaining, write this in, means to express dissatisfaction with a circumstance which is not wrong and about which I am doing nothing myself to correct. And we need to hear that again. Complaining means to, ex- to express dissatisfaction with a circumstance which is not wrong and about which I'm doing nothing myself to correct. So let's break that down. Something that is not wrong. It is not complaining to picket an abortion clinic. Abortion is wrong and you are doing something about it. It's not complaining to say to a spouse, honey, I, I think you need to spend more time with the kids and, and I want to work on this together. I want to help because it is wrong to not spend time with your kids. And the wife is helping the husband say, we're going to work together. That's not complaining. But to look at the next part. To do nothing myself to correct it. It is complaining, however, to whine about the evils of abortion. 
and never pray and never picket and never vote and never give money and never write letters, that's complaining. It is complaining to express dissatisfaction to your spouse about not spending time with the kids in a critical and negative and fault-finding way and never offer to help and solve that. If we're not willing to bring correction to it ourselves, if we're complaining about something that is not wrong, that is sin. Are your comments, are your words working towards a solution or are they just complaining? Now, those of you in the room who are a verbal person, raise your hand. You're, you're a, you'd say, I'm a verbal person. Raise your hand. Three of you. Awesome. Very good. Now, the, the nonverbal people, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because you're already going, I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm not doing that. That's stupid. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You're a nonverbal person. I'm not doing that. And, you know, nonverbal people sometimes say, you know, I haven't complained about anything in a long, long time. That's not true. You haven't talked in a long time. You've just been silent. And see, sometimes we, we deal with this issue of complaining and, and we think that I'm going to address the issue of complaining by just not saying anything. It's duct tape sanctification. We begin to take a big strip of duct tape and put it over our mouth. And we say, if I don't say it, it doesn't exist. But the problem is, it comes out. But still in there. And, and, And we just begin to stuff it in. That is still an attitude of complaining. See, it's it's however you express it, whether you say it, whether you think it, whether you dwell upon it. Many people feel like they've never complained. They just haven't spoke about what oozes out of their eyes, their attitude, their demeanor. And you know what? You don't have to say anything. We already know. We can see it all over you. Number three, God hears our complaining. Numbers 11, verse 1 again. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Now think about that for a moment. Think about it for a moment. Every time I open my mouth, or I dwell in my thoughts or express dissatisfaction about something that is not wrong, God hears that. God hears every complaint in your mind, in your heart, off of your lips. This had been going on in the children of Israel for a long time. And God finally says, fine. You think you can't trust me? You think I'm not good enough for you? You think I won't provide for you? You think I haven't given enough to you? Then off into the wilderness you go. Go, go right ahead. Just, just go in the wilderness. And that's where they spent the rest of their lives. As we talked about last week, that's where a lot of the people that you love, a lot of the people you know who love the Lord, spend their life in the wilderness because they have a lifestyle of grumbling, and here, this first of five wilderness attitudes, a lifestyle of complaining that they live in the wilderness and they don't move into the promised land living that God has for them here and now. They're cheerless, joyless, wilderness Christians. And I say down with that. We don't need any more cheerless, joyless, wilderness Christians. We need believers who say, I want the joy of the Lord in my life. Now, I want you to notice something real specific in verse 1. Look at your Bible. It says, now the people complained about what? Their hardships. In the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger aroused. Some other translations, instead of hardships, what's it say? Anybody have a different translation? What's it say? Misfortunes. Other translations would say adversity. Now here's what I'm trying to get you to see. While God doesn't like it when we complain about the weather, when we complain about, you know, traffic, when we complain about, you know, food was late or something like that, 
write this in. The main thing that God does not want to hear his children complain about is their lot in life. The main thing that God doesn't want to hear his children complain about is their lot in life. Your situation, your circumstances, your status in life. Because when you complain about your life, that it's not going the way you want it to, the way you hoped, you're not looking at your own choices that led to many of those outcomes, and you begin to blame God and complain about Him. That's the thing He doesn't want to hear the most. You say, well, Brady, I don't, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things I'm experiencing in my life that, that I didn't choose. It's not a result of my choice. What I'm facing, I didn't choose for this to happen. When, when we complain about our lot in life, what do you think that says about God? If you didn't make the choice, is it possible that maybe God made the choice? Maybe God made the choice to allow that to happen. Maybe God made the choice to allow someone else to have the free will and disobedience, but pain and hurt to you. And when we complain to God and we say, God, this is, this is not how I wanted it. When we complain about our lot in life, if you are a child of God, you're saying, God, you're not enough. You're not enough. You see, when you begin to resent those things and complain about the things that lead to your lot in life, you're really saying, God, you're, you're not enough. You're not enough for me. It's so easy for us to get lost in the abundance of his blessing. And we complain about one thing. They complained about their misfortune, their adversity, their hardship. What was their hardship? What was their hardship? They, they had been led out of Egypt. They were delivered from slavery. They had provision already. In the midst of the blessings, they focused on that one thing. God, if I don't have this. God, if, if you don't do this for me. God, if you don't heal my body. If you don't fix that relationship. If you don't provide that resource, God. We get focused on that one thing. And we miss the abundance of the blessing he's already given to us. Children of Israel said, you got me out of slavery. You... Got me out of making bricks. You provided food in the wilderness. You led us to the promised land. But God, we got to have water. And no sooner than they had water, he said, they said, God, we got to have food. And no sooner as he dropped bread from the sky, they said, God, we got to have meat. And, and it was never enough. Complaining about their lot in life. Jot it down. Look at it later. Psalm 106, verse 15. The King James translation puts it this way. And he gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. Sometimes, God will give you what you're begging for, and it's not so great. Now, I want you to look, at, look up here closely. I, I'm not making light. This is not an absent, absence of compassion for the people of God and the adversity that they face. I, I, I know that Scripture teaches that God has appointed to each of his children a season of adversity. Jot down Hebrews 12.6. Hebrews 12.6. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he punishes or he chastises the, everyone who accepts his son. In fact, if you're living your life and everything's just rocking out good for you and there's no adversity and everything's perfect, you may need to check things. Because every one of his kids, Scripture says, they're getting it. They're facing adversity and it's happening to them. See, God's love, it's not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. I know that's not what you want to hear tonight. God does not care about your comfort as much as He does your character. He doesn't want to pamper you. Pamper you. He wants to perfect you. 
And when he talks about our attitudes, it gets right to the core of this. I've sat with parents in waiting rooms when they have lost not one, not two, but three children the same day. I'm not making light of your situation. I'm not saying there's, there's not pain in this world. I'm saying quite the opposite. That God knows what we're walking through. And when He allows things to happen in this world, it's not that I say I understand it. I certainly don't. But I've seen that pain. I've been in waiting rooms when parents have lost multiple kids at the same time. I've been with people when they were expecting to receive news of a clean bill of health and they got a terminal illness report. I've witnessed some of the most heartbreaking things and many of the pastors you've talked to have sat in those same circumstances caring for people and seeing the pain of life. But I want to tell you, His grace is sufficient. It's an awesome thing to see a child of God under the weight of adversity bear up and trust God, letting the grace of God fill them and overflow their life. Either they get better or they get bitter. There's a choice in our attitude. Number four, God hates our complaining. Verse one, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Numbers 11.10, Moses heard the people of every family waiting, wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry. Moses was troubled. It's in your outline there. You can read it later, but verse or chapter 10, verse 33, 12, verse 9, 25, verse 4, 32, verse 14. You go, whoa, time out. Why do I need all those? Look, each of these passages talk about the anger of the Lord. This is the most concentrated passages of Scripture speaking about the anger of the Lord in all of the Bible. Right here. The issue and this most concentrated finding of the anger of the Lord in all of the Bible, it was not gross immorality. It was not idolatry. This most concentrated teaching in all of Scripture on the anger of the Lord is in the context of the attitude of the people who were so blessed they should have known better. This is what God can't take. This is what raises anger up in Him. God says, you say I haven't done enough for you? You say I have not, I've not saved you, I've not delivered you? Church, if, if it was not... If there was nothing else that God did, He sent His Son to die for you on the cross. If He never answered another prayer, if He never showed up one more day in your life, Him giving you a way to eternal life with Him, what do you have to complain about? Is there anything else? What could you complain about to God if He never did anything else for you except save you from your sins? I want you to uh, imagine with me that, that you're a parent and you have kids. Some of you, you need to imagine that. Some parents don't want your kids imagining that. Some of you have kids and you can imagine. I want you to imagine you're a parent and you have teenage kids at home and you just went on a date with your spouse and you had a great time and you're coming home and you're expecting to find the kids there in the living room and you walk into the house and you don't hear anything and you don't see anything. You're a little concerned. You make your way to the basement. As you're going down the steps, you begin to hear some voices and your concern is not there anymore. You kind of see that the kids are downstairs, but you put on those parent detective ears. You're not going to give away your presence right away. You want to kind of see what's going on and you walk up to the laundry room door that's closed and you begin to hear the conversation that's going on in the laundry room. The oldest son says, I can't believe dad. He is so lazy. You call that providing for the family? Look at the stuff that we have. Compared to our friends across the street, we've got nothing. Dad needs to take out a second job or something. 
before you could even respond, your youngest daughter says, And mom, can you believe her? She talks about being a, a, a stay-at-home mom who works at home and cooks and cleans. And I've got some friends. I tell you what, mom needs to take some cooking lessons. It's just not cutting the snuff for me. How would you respond? What, what, what would you feel? You may be hurt for like, I don't know, two seconds, and then you're angry. Then you're mad. And you'd open the door and you'd say, I, I'm here, guys. I can hear you. I can hear what you're saying. That's great that you're old enough now and you figured out that your parents aren't perfect and, and you see that they don't do everything perfect. But I would want to say, but we're doing the best that we can. We're, we're providing for you the best that we know how. Do you have any idea what it's like to make the sacrifices we've made to provide for you? It may not be perfect. You may not have everything that everyone else has, but we're doing the best that we can. Now, I want you to imagine your heavenly father who is so far more perfect than you are. Scripture says when we complain about our lot in life, He's listening. It hurts the heart of God, like for two seconds. And then anger comes up. Those who know better are complaining about what God has done. It's, it's time to get up close and personal for just a second. I want to ask you three serious questions. In fact, I want you to ask it to yourself. Am I a complainer? Am I reaping the consequences of complaining in my relationship with God? More importantly, am I willing to repent? You know this, church. This doesn't mean be sorry. This definitely doesn't mean that I feel got, that I've gotten the finger pointed on my issue tonight. Oh, oh you've laid it on me. I don't like to. No, repent. I have godly sorrow, yes, but I'm willing to turn 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction. With God's help, I'm not going back to that attitude. And rapid fire, I want us to allow God to help us see where do we go from here if we answer, yes, I'm complaining. Yes, I see that in my life. It's replacing it with a thankful attitude. How many of you know that sanctification is, in the Bible is not just about what you don't do? Sometimes we've gotten confused about what it means to be sanctified, to be holy. It's, it's the, the five things we don't do. It's, the, it's the, uh, the 12 things we don't do. You don't chew and you don't drink and you don't smoke. And you don't go with girls that do that stuff. And it's the things we don't do. And there's a place for that. But when you read God's Word, being sanctified, living a holy life is about not just about putting off, but putting on it's things that I do incorporate into my life. We share that a, an attitude problem, you can't... Fix an attitude problem in a hurry, but you can begin to address it. You address it by displacing that complaining attitude with an attitude of thanksgiving. Real fast, turn with me to Luke 17, 11 through 19. We're going to look at, you may want to fill this in. This is a passage that talks about uncommon thankfulness. Uncommon thankfulness. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village... Ten men who had leprosy met him. Let's just stop right there. You know this, but I want to jog your memory. In leprosy in this time, this was the AIDS of their day. This was the incurable disease that, that nobody wanted to have that diagnosis. It wasn't even as specific of a type of skin disease as we know now. It was a conglomerate of a lot of illnesses that were, were depicted by what's on your skin. And it was a terminal thing. It was highly contagious. And you were put aside. And that's what we find here. These ten men met him. They stood at a distance because of their illness, and they called out in a loud voice. They knew enough to call out to Jesus. They've heard about him. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 
When he saw them, he said, this is Jesus, go show yourselves to the priest. I love this. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. It doesn't give us any reason to believe that he said, go show yourself to the priest. And they're standing there and they go, oh, this is awesome. No, as they went to show themselves to the priest, they're like, whoa, look at this. It's gone. (laughs) It's here. And nine of them went on, but one stopped. Look what God's word says. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. I love this. This was not, God, thank you. You cleansed me of my leprosy. It was, God, look at this. This is amazing. With a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And look at this last part. And he was a Samaritan. He was not part of the family. He was not one who should have gotten it. He was from the other side of the tracks. He didn't know how he was supposed to act. No one expected him to do it right, but he was the only one who got it. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner, this one who should not have known this? Then he said to him, the one who came back, rise and go Your faith has made you well. Real fast, look at these things from this. All of these lepers needed something. For us, we can see that everyone needs the Lord. Write that in. Everyone needs the Lord. All of us have the same disease of sinfulness, selfishness. Our heart caved in on itself. We all need the Lord. Verse 15, they all had the same need and they had the same Healing, but only one, only a few, write this in, thanked him personally. Only a few thanked him personally. And then verse 17, how could it be that the least likely of them, the Samaritan of all people, expressed gratitude? Now we need to think about this. For those of us who've grown up in the church, I grew up in the church. My first revival meeting, I think I was was seven days old. I was in a revival meeting from then on. I was in one every week for the first 13 years of my life. Those of you who grew up in the church, you grew up in a Christian home, this is speaking to us. How is it that we can be the ones who are the least thankful? We've been around it. We should know better. We begin to have a complaining attitude come out. We are not thankful. We need to wake up. Only a few thanked Him personally. And then only a few, one, expressed Him powerfully. Experienced Him powerfully, rather. Now it says that Rise and go, you have been made well. Now, this confuses me. Did, did he get healed? It said he, on his way, he noticed he was healed and came back and thanked the Lord with a loud voice. This wasn't, hey, I, with a loud voice, I throw myself at your feet because I think I'm going to be. He was healed. But something else happened here. Apparently, somehow his thankfulness led to a deeper heart transformation. And he wasn't just physically touched. He was made well his whole entire being. Uncommon thankfulness is what we need to displace a complaining attitude. Real fast, we're not going to be able to spend time on it tonight. We'll pick it up later. But for those who have to get number six in, let me help you. Faith grows in the soil of gratitude. Here's a homework assignment. Look at Romans 1, 18 through 21. When God revealed himself in creation, he took the excuse away from everybody. We all could see the handiwork of God. And when faith grows in the soil of gratitude, something amazing happens. We'll pick that up a little bit later in our study. Gratitude, what do we mean by that? 
It's to show that a kindness received is valued. It's a kindness that is received. It's valued. Number seven, thankfulness. It's a decision. The final one. We need to understand that just like your attitude to complain is a decision, your attitude of thankfulness is a decision as well. Look at Psalm 107, verse 8. The New King James says this, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Now, when, when we say thanks, I'm not talking about these cheesy little perfunctory thanks. All right, it's not like when you're going to go out to eat after and everybody's going to go to Bob Evans or Culver's or wherever you go and, and, and you sit down and, and the, the host is teaching you say thanks and then they give you a menu and you say thanks and then they, they bring your food and you say thanks and then they bring you the bill and you say no thanks. And, but it, it's, that's not what it is. It's not what we're talking about. I, where does this come from? This probably, this did come from our mothers. You know, it's like when you're a two-year-old and you have a, someone gives you a cookie and, and she elbows you and says say thanks and you go, thanks. You know, it's just like a thanks machine. It's just thanks and just thanks. That's not what we're talking about. It's not just T-H-A-N-K-S. I think I spelled it right. It's not just thanks. This is gratitude. When I have received it, my heart says I value what you have given to me. That's what gratitude is. It's our choice. So I'm just kind of negative by nature. No, you're negative by choice and that's your nature. You have it in you, the capability with God's help to choose thankfulness. Now here's a test for you as we get ready to go. I want you to think back. Be real honest. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to have you write it down because this is like super honest. How did you, in your heart of hearts, come into worship today, whether it's this morning or tonight? I mean, when you came in, what were you thinking when you came into church today? Did you come in thinking, I'm so thankful to be here? I'm going to give myself to this time today. I'm just so hungry to to put myself at the feet of Jesus. I want to hear what God's word has to say to me today. I'm just, I'm going to give myself to this time. Or did you uh, kind of come in just, I am here. I am here. Ring the bell and wave the flag. It's too good to be true, but I'm here. You kind of thought to yourself, wonder what I'm getting today. You know what? It better be interesting. It better be interesting. It better keep my attention. I tell you what, that message, it better be challenging. It better be Bible. It better be prayerful. It better be humorous. And it better be mixed together perfectly. Because, Mildred, if it's not, if I lose my attention, I'm not coming back next week. But where, where, is, where, where is your honesty? It's true. We choose We choose, we choose our attitude. We can come into his house with thanksgiving, or we can come in ready to give God something he hadn't had in a long time, us. God says, when you live a lifestyle of grumbling and attitude one of a wilderness attitude and complaining, you spend your life in the wilderness and you will die there. A spiritual, crusty Dry, thorny, thistly death of an existent with joyless, nasty-mouthed Christianity. Or you have an opportunity to have a river of life spring up inside of you. Thankfulness is based in reality. 
I don't want you to think that I'm just talking about some kind of mental attitude, self-help talk. You have tangible things. This is reality. You can be thankful for tangible things. Psalm 107, verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works. His goodness and His works. You can see them. They're there. This is not just conjure it up. God has been moving. Did you hear what Norm said? Yeah. Everybody said that he would be had pain and it would be a horrible time. He didn't have it. Did you hear what was testified over here? I'm no longer in chains. They've been set free. I'm not living for the old life. You have reason to give Praise to God to be thankful. It's based in reality. Now, now look there at Psalm 107, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31. It keeps going on. It all starts with, oh, that men would give thanks. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. This is not a, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. It's not just, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. It's, it's oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. That's fun. You've got to say it with me. Try it. Oh, ho, ho. no, that's wimpy. It's, 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 oh, ho, ho, ho. this is so good. There's a diamond mine. <laughs> oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. Not that they could, that they would because of what God has done. Church, I don't know how we sing about my chains fell off. My heart is now free and just kind of, uh. I know how we do that. We do that because when we come into this place, we haven't prepared we come into this place and, and we still are coming in thinking about something else. But I want to challenge you, church, that as we put on, you cannot change this overnight. But you can change direction tonight. And say, I'm going to choose thankfulness and let it displace my complaining attitude. And that's the last two things. Thankfulness is a life-changing decision. It will radically change your life. Now, I don't expect you to believe me because our culture is bombarded with claims that are so, so superficial. But this isn't my claim. This is God's claim. And you put this to the test. When you begin to live a life with thankfulness, it changes everything around you. Our key thought for the evening, you cannot just stop having a complaining attitude. Some of you have tried that. You've done the duct tape sanctification and you've just pulled it across your mouth and you think because you haven't said the words that you've conquered complaining and we all know it's coming out. If you got vomit in there, you might as well just get it out. The point is not to be sick, not just to hold it in and gargle it. It's nasty. You can't stop having a complaining attitude. However, you can replace a complaining attitude with an attitude of thankfulness. Let's pray together. Father, you have pricked our heart again with your word. I pray that you will cut deep to our heart that we will see the, the real true fruit in our life. We've asked a moment ago, are, are we a complaining people? Has our relationship suffered a wilderness of distance unnecessarily because of our complaining? We confess to you, God, we want to repent, but we need your help to even turn the other direction. We confess that our attitude, the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, the way we see you, it's a pattern of thinking that some of us, we have embraced, we have chosen that attitude literally from childhood. But God, I pray that you will give us the boldness to not conquer it in our own strength that fails every time.
but to choose an attitude of, of, of thanksgiving that will displace the complaining in our life. And Lord, I'm excited about the promised land living that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you'll bless these, my friends. As they take off, give them divine creativity to find you everywhere and to thank you in front of everyone that they possibly can. It's in your powerful name that I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for worshiping. Don't miss next week. It's going to be awesome. We have a special report week. You don't want to miss it. See ya.